Freedom of religion or belief is an expansive right that includes the freedoms of thought, conscience, expression, association, and assembly. In America, religious freedom is considered a first freedom, yet it is not so around the world. And in many places, this core human right is the subject of great persecution. Today, we talk to Gail Manchin, Vice Chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, Opinion Editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? I'm very excited today to have on there for what Gail Manchin. Gail Manchin is the vice chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. She was appointed by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer for a term that will run through 2022. And as the vice chair, she is the also the former first lady of West Virginia, uh, where she served as the official hostess of the governor's mansion uh, and was an incredible advocate for West Virginia children and families. And we're going to dive into a host of those different things today. As we were talking before we started today, uh, it was a privilege for me when I was chief of staff for U.S. Senator Mike Lee to kind of be next door neighbors in the old Hart building there in Washington and have a great appreciation uh, for both Senator Manchin and uh, for you, Gail. And really appreciate you joining us on there for what today? Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show and certainly a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk about things that I believe are important for um, all of us. I, I, I do think it's such a, an interesting thing. You're, you're on this commission and we'll dive into what the commission actually does as it relates to international religious freedom. But I want to start with this idea that it, this is bipartisan, that uh, you have people from both sides of the aisle coming together. I can't think of a, a more important signal, I think, to the country and to the world than the way you go about your work uh, on the commission. Well, you're absolutely right, Boyd. Uh, it's critical. We have a two-year term, which we can be reappointed. I, I was just reappointed. In fact, most of us were that serve on the commission. And so we don't have a lifetime to get things done. We need to get in there and work together from the get-go. And if you spent your time seeing how you can one-up one another, you're not going to move forward on issues about people that die around this world for no other reason than their religious beliefs. Yeah, uh, and uh, it is. I, I love that uh, that you have just a short period to do that. Sometimes I, I wish Congress had a little better uh, urgency factor <laughs> to get in and get some things done. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about the commission just a little bit. Give us a, a little background for those who may not be familiar. Uh, again, it's the U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom. Tell us a little bit about the work and uh, what the the focus is right now. Well, uh, the focus of USERF is to be an oversight. So we work with the Secretary of State's office, but not for the Secretary of State's office. So we report to Congress, we report to the President, and we report to the Secretary of State. But we are not hindered by the restraints that, the, for example, the Secretary of State's office is under as a uh, under the president. So it gives us a little more freedom. We have one mission, and that is to support and advocate for religious freedom around the world. It is, uh, so there are many human rights, but I believe at the foundation of human rights is uh, your freedom of faith. 
And I think from all from that, the rest of your your freedoms come from that or human rights. So the fact that that we work in a bipartisan measure is critical. Now, if we have a Republican president, then we have five Republican members and four Democrat members. If so, whoever is the ruling party has the fifth member. We serve for two-year terms. It just so happened that two years ago, most of us came in at the same time. And so we joined this commission, new learning, and we learned together. It's important also to understand that this is not about the United States, even though the United States is the one country in the world that advocates for religious freedom globally. But our measures are international, the Human Rights Commission and and the rules internationally. So we abide by those rules, and as we meet with countries, so what we learn very quickly, Boyd, is this is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about the other eight commissioners. It's about what we can do together to provide and advocate for religious freedom for all people around the world. Uh, I love that. And uh, so many of us here in the U.S., uh, we do take that first freedom, America's first freedom, really, uh, for granted. Uh, And yet there are so many places, even here in the United States, I will come back to that in a minute, but internationally, there are so many challenges around those, what we call our first freedoms. Uh, You you wrote a a real powerful piece uh, for the Deseret News here with your uh, counterpart, Tony Perkins. Tell us a little bit about this uh, interaction, and and this is just such a good example in relating to your conversations with the Sudan's new prime minister. Well, it's very interestingly... Tony is from Louisiana. I'm from West Virginia. And so we tease each other that he translates for me if people (laughs) don't quite understand the West Virginia twang, that he'll be my translator. (laughs) But I do think that the the, the part of the world that we come from in the United States has some similarities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was kind of maybe an icebreaker. for us. But Tony comes with a passion for what he does, and so do I, but so does every member. Right. Uh, Very diverse backgrounds from all different parts of the country, but committed to a mission. So as we we look at those, uh, that freedom of religion or belief, uh, I think one of the challenges, and I think one of the things that that many people worry about, uh, again, here in the United States and around the world, is that in so many places, it seems like that freedom of religion, uh, that freedoms of thought and conscience uh, are getting pushed out of the public square uh, and just being pushed into the, the synagogue or the church or the, the home uh, and not being able to be brought into the public square. Uh, interviewed uh, Rabbi Soloviechek uh, not too long ago, and he talked about that, being able to take your, your light, your faith into the public square. Uh, tell me from the commission standpoint, how are you interacting on those kinds of things in terms of what is the role in the public square for faith? Well, if you truly look as a human right and what we are able to practice in the United States, that we can talk about our faith, we can practice our faith, our holidays, our customs, without fear of reprisal. And around this world, that is not the case. I guess the thing that probably touched me uh, more deeply than anything I have ever confronted 
is that I came in contact with families who had family members who had died for no other reason than professing their faith. And I think about what a sacrifice that some people are willing to make around this country, around this world, to illustrate the lack of dignity, the lack of that freedom to express your faith and how important that is to the human to the human body to the human soul to be able to freely express your belief and your faith or your or your lack of faith right right if you have no faith that's a, that should be your freedom as well and so that's a pretty overwhelming uh when you come face to face with that reality And the other bit of that that I will put in there is that our ability to travel to these countries are very important as we talk to ministerial leaders, uh, to embassies, to political leaders, uh, and to see sort of their thought process, because it's very important that you see people where they are, Mm -hmm. not where you think they ought to be or not where you are, but where the people in these countries are. And then also to understand that there is a reality of the people that live in the city, the urban areas, and the people that live out in the rural areas, not unlike the United States in many ways. But to be able to be in a country and to sort of get that full picture uh, is is extremely helpful in terms of being able to advocate. But more importantly, it helps you as an individual to become sort of part of the reality of what life in that country really is. Oh, I love that. I love that perspective. As you've had the chance to do some of that traveling uh, pre-COVID-19, of course, what were some of the things that surprised you or what were some of the things that you learned uh, in some of these countries that maybe changed your perspective a little bit? I would say, above all else, to be much more appreciative of the freedom and the good fortune that I had to be born in the United States. I mean, obviously, that first and foremost. But in traveling to these countries, I would say the thing that I had not expected that surprised me was countries really care what the United States thinks of them. Mm. The fact that we are visiting the country, that we are questioning some of their rules and regulations and laws, that we are, that we are stressing to them the value of... Uh, of human rights, and they care, and they will defend what they say. So they care about what we think about them. The other piece of it is by being in a country, you give people their hope. I was so uplifted by this sense of the people in the country being so appreciative of us coming from the United States for no other reason than to support their human rights. And that's pretty effective. I really appreciate you sharing that. I, w- I want to take that just a, a little bit further in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, it, it's not about you. It's not about the commission. It's not even about the country. And yet there is this role that America seems to play around the world. What have you learned about that? Yes. You know, what? first of all, that the United States takes this role on, that we take the world on in terms of giving some type of oversight to uh, human rights as as put out by the United Nations, not the United States rules or what we believe, but what the United Nations as a whole, the, what they have put out. That's what we ask countries to abide by. And in terms of human rights, we consider, as I said 
initially freedom of religion to be that first and foremost. And that's the one that we focus on. Now, government officials, the Department of State, all these other offices have to look at all of those rights and weigh these things in terms of economic development, all these other factors that make a difference in people's decisions. We focus entirely on religious freedom, but we try to express in that, certainly to the countries that we work with and that we speak with, that human rights are so important. Quality of life is so important to how a country thrives and progresses. Education is so important to how a country thrives and survives. And so we talk about countries that use religion as a basis for restricting who receives an education and who doesn't. So you you go about it not by saying you're wrong, Mm. but by saying how much better your country would be, how much better the quality of life and the quality of the economy would be if, in fact, you respected these human rights. Oh, I love that. That is so, so powerful. Uh, I know that uh, your focus is primarily on the international religious freedom component. Uh, there's uh, always a, a lot of uh, conversations going on about the, the state of religious freedom here at home in the United States. Uh, my my colleague here at uh, Deseret News, Kelsey Dallas, uh, of course, tracks everything that's going on. It seems like there are just myriads of, of court cases from the Supreme Court uh, on down to Uh, the district courts, and so on. What is the state of religious freedom in the United States, and how will that impact the work of the International Religious Freedom Commission? Well, the I don't know if you would say the good news and the bad news. I guess at one point the good news for us is that we don't do the United States. We work outside of the United States. So our venue and our protocol and and our requirements we deal with the rest of the world. Now, I think, though, in terms of this is not good news, but certainly when you look at things that are happening in the United States, it's a microcosm of things that are happening globally. And I think being a member of this commission makes us all the more aware that what we see happening in pockets around this country in the United States are just simply an example of what is happening globally, only on a much bigger perspective. But our purview is the global world, so we do not work on particular, we do not work on the issues in the United States, but we certainly are aware of them, and we certainly see that as a way to relate to what is happening in other parts of the world. Let's, let's look quickly at uh, kind of the, the road ahead. Uh, what do you see as the, the greatest obstacles uh, in the international community as it relates to religious freedom? And what gives you the most hope moving forward? I think the, uh, the biggest issue, and, and probably this is one that will be there for some time, there is so much unrest in the world right now. There is unrest in the United States, again, we are sort of the, the microcosm of what's happening globally, but a great deal of unrest. And with that unrest, of course, comes fear. And when people fear things, they close down, they close up, they, 
they shelter in. And so their rules become stricter. And I use sometimes for an example, I think about the state of West Virginia, where this little state, we're surrounded by Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Kentucky, these states that are bigger than us. What if we got up every day and had to wonder, worry about whether one of those states was going to try to invade, take over, challenge us? And so much of the world lives in that type of a perspective every day. And so when unrest increases, then certainly the fear increases. And with fear comes, you know, sometimes bad action. Right. The hope that I see, or what gives me hope, is that when I talk about global perspective now, that's not an unusual thing. We know what's going on in the world. There was a time when we didn't know what was going on in, in the world. But now with the news media and all the opportunities that we have, to see, to actually see what's going on around in different countries, to hear, to talk. I think it has made people in this country much more aware of injustices that are taking place. Certainly, we try to give a face to people that have been imprisoned for no reason other than for their religious beliefs, showcase them in a way that just brings attention to this injustice that is taking place across the world. So the good news is more people know about it, and you would hope that the more people that know about it would certainly be attuned to it and be aware and would want to see injustices corrected. The bad news is, though, that I think during this turbulent time, uh, we're we're not going to see improvements. We're going to continue to see this unrest and this instability, which is not good for anything, but particularly not for religious freedom. Therefore, what? Well, we're we're to that point in the program uh, where we get to ask the the all important question. Therefore, what? As people have been listening here for the last 20 minutes, uh, as they come away from this conversation, what do you hope they they think different? What do you hope they do different? Well, I, I would hope that two things, and I think this is kind of, again, a microcosm of the, of the big picture, but I would hope that they would see this commission, this group of nine people who share a common mission, and that is to protect religious freedom around the world and to make people aware of that. That is not about any one of us individually. We each bring a set of unique perspectives, talent, uh, information to the table, and it's important that all of those voices be heard, but that we that they're heard together, that we're working toward a common goal. And I think if we look at that at, at our level of nine members on on this commission, but you could take that to a much bigger picture. You can spread that out not only to our nation, that we need to be thinking about what is our what is our goal, what is our mission? Is it for the United States to be a better place in which everyone can live, regardless of your income, your your race, your nationality, your education. Shouldn't this be a country where we can all live and have the best quality of life possible? And then you expand that, then what is the global picture? Isn't it the right thing for everyone in this world to be able to live in a peaceful, 
coexistence that respects human rights for every individual in the world. And you can't do that by being one person. You have to do that by being a part of a of a much larger group. We start certainly with with our commission, but it is it, it's not only about the little picture, but it's about if you expand that to the big picture, how amazing uh, not only our country could be, but the difference that we can make around the world. Uh, fantastic. I so appreciate uh the way you go about your work, uh, it really is a fantastic model of setting the partisanship aside, getting to the heart of a mission uh, and an objective, uh, and doing things that just make it better for everyone all around the world. Gail Manchin, Vice Chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, really appreciate you being with us today on Therefore What. Well, we appreciate so much uh, being invited, and just remember if there was any part of my dialogue that Uh, because of my West Virginia twang that you didn't understand. (laughs) I'm sure Tony will be glad to come on and translate for me. (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. I will definitely do that, and uh, we are so appreciative of uh, the Manchin family and your example of public service and just being committed every day to get up. And we always say, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. And uh, the Manchin family uh, has been doing that for a long time. We appreciate your service. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and the debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on DeseretNews.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Therefore What?